Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and it seems you have fallen way down the True Tunes rabbit hole. Maybe you've come to the podcast recently and are just working your way back to our first few shows, or who knows, maybe someone sent you a direct link to one of these early outings. All I can say is welcome, thanks for stopping by, Bruce and I are glad you're here, but have some mercy on us please. I'll be honest, when Bruce and I went back and listened to these early episodes, well, let's just say it clearly took us a handful of shows for us to get our feet under us. We knew what we wanted to do, but the way to get there took some tweaking. But the interviews are still valuable, and it's probably worthwhile to have these available as documents of our evolution, so we've trimmed them up a bit, tried to keep them timely, and inserted these little disclaimer introductions to each one. You might still hear a few dated references, some wonky edits, and some rough fades, so have some mercy on us as you dig these earliest episodes out of cold storage and enjoy. Thanks for listening. Oh, and if somehow this is your first exposure to our show, please check out any of our more recent episodes for a more accurate representation. Okay, Bruce, roll it. Oh, Chris, do real quick say this is. They don't care about me. I'm not like a famous person. <coughs> but but they like the they excuse. like the rock stars. It's another excuse to to plug the film. Hi, this is Chris White. I'm the writer and director of the film Electric Jesus, and this is the True Tunes podcast. In the summer of 1986, I ran sound for a Christian heavy metal band. Jesus loves you. And he can forgive you. Stop it! No matter what you've done, we do it. Can he forgive you for playing so many songs? One of the things I've noticed about the stories I tell especially about myself as I get older, is that they tend to be more about the fumbling, confused, embarrassing failures in my journey than the victories. Don't get me wrong, I'm still a pretty insecure guy in need of approval. I'm as prone to want your validation as much as the next guy. But there's some real beauty and somehow freedom in our tales of woe. It seems that the egg on our face actually makes us more beautiful in some strange way. I wonder why that is. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and welcome to the True Tunes podcast, where we love to talk about listening to better music and listening to music better with people who are showing us how it's done. Since this show debuted, you've heard us talk a lot about a little film that has been working its way up the mountain, overcoming obstacles and odds, Electric Jesus, billed as, quote, the 80s hairband music comedy you've been saving yourself for, end quote, is currently playing at film festivals which in this crazy pandemic year means people have limited opportunities to stream it at home as part of special events. It is a featured presentation at the Nashville Film Festival and many other events, and while final distribution plans are yet unconfirmed, the early response to screenings has been very enthusiastic. And yes, full disclosure, I am directly involved with this movie, and proudly so. I was tapped to serve as both the music supervisor and as a special historical consultant. I've been working with writer, director, and producer Chris White on this project for many years, and I'm excited to have him on the show today, along with Daniel Smith, who we talked to at length a few episodes back. Daniel is, of course, best known as the main man behind the Danielson family, and lately as a key member of the new Steve Taylor and the Danielson Foil Project, Smith composed both the score for Electric Jesus and a slew of original songs with Chris White, including both the songs for 316, our Christian metal heroes at the center of the movie, as well as several songs for a wonderfully evil secular black metal band that appears at a key moment, and well, let's just say they deliver on every promise that any chick track ever made about the demonic influences of rock and roll. Chris and Dan are going to talk about the music in Electric Jesus, the challenge of storytelling in this unique space, and the glory of, well, let's not call it failure per se, but it's not the kind of success we were looking for. Are y'all famous? <laughs> I don't think so. Not yet, anyway. We're also going to go back to last year and hear from some of the cast of Electric Jesus, including Brian Baumgartner, who you will know as Kevin Malone from the U.S. version of The Office. Brian plays Skip Wick, the manager of 316. 
I got a chance to talk with Brian last year on set, along with many of the actors. And yes, you're finally going to get to hear a lot of music from the film, including clips of songs that have not yet been released, like a brand new Steve Taylor and the Danielson foil track called Ecstatic Delight. In fact, instead of our standard jukebox feature, we are spilling the jukebox all over this episode with clips of songs by Daniel and Chris, as well as bits of instrumental tracks from the score sprinkled liberally throughout. I got to sit with Chris White and Daniel Smith a few months ago here in Nashville at StoryForge, one of my favorite creative spots in town. We'll start our journey into the world of Electric Jesus and the beauty of failure, missing the point, and madcap adventures there. Paul tells us, to be ready to thwart the influence of the devil wherever it shall rise. So, tonight, our young people will praise God through the hard rock of the 316 band. Boom! There she blows! Chris White, welcome to the True Tunes Podcast, sir. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be talking to you and to be here with my creative collaborator, Daniel Smith, who is uh, one of these several genius people that uh, helped me make this thing happen. When people ask you, Electric Jesus, what is this? What is your what is your answer? What What is Electric Jesus about? What is this story? It's a rock and roll movie. One of my favorite kinds of movies are movies about... Uh, uh, bands that uh, don't make it. I don't really like the movies about bands that do make it. <laughs> I like stories where people don't get their dreams, but maybe they get something else. Um, so I've always wanted to do something in music. I've always loved music. I grew up in a Southern Baptist, you know, evangelical youth subculture in the 80s. So I listened to a lot of Christian rock music growing up. So that was kind of a blend of how I came of age musically and started developing taste was in that world. I know there's a lot of people that have been really hurt and abused within the context of church and God and even Jesus, which is, uh, you know, disappointing and very sad. I wasn't, you know, I, I kind of grew and came alive in that world. And yes, my parents were Christians and they took me and my sister to church and I loved it. And I was around people, youth ministers and, and Sunday school teachers and other adults, you know, parents of my friends that just thought it was cool that we did crazy fun things that were creative. So when I started thinking about a mu music movie, I was like, well, I've never seen a movie about Christians that got the voice right. And I've certainly never seen a rock and roll movie about Christian rock. And so, Turned it and turned the dial a little bit farther and got to Christian hair metal. Uh, you know, Striper being maybe the apex of what we would think of in that that era. So that was where we start putting a story with that. My first expectation when I hear, oh, it's about a Christian hair metal band in 1986, going to reference Striper and that kind of stuff, is oh, it's going to be a parody. It's going to be like right. a mockumentary or we're going to, we're, we're definitely going to be making fun of this. And one of the first things you said to me in an email was, this is not Spinal Tap. Uh, there's some satirical things about it. It's not a parody. Right. And uh, it is, I hope, filled with love. I think the thing I'm fighting against more with the movie is the, the tendency, especially in, in Christianity, to go towards sentimentality and and maybe looking to nostalgia which I define as unearned emotion and feeling so I, I want to fight against that I do not want to go back you know I'm not going to show up in with big hair and spandex pants and throw a bible at you I don't think that's a way to be <laughs> for a person who's like nearly 50 years old I've had different life experiences now and I've learned so much and um, I'm living my life in a different way maybe than young Chris did the first time Daniel and I ever talked the context of the conversation we were recording a conversation for a podcast and I asked him to bring these old pictures I just said bring three or four old pictures of when you were a kid because I knew something about childhood and his family was a part of his work and we just 
it, it turned it into the time machine. Let's dig down into the photo and just tell that story of that moment and of life. And it's, it's, it's powerful stuff. Going back there, I do think has a, can have a redemptive uh, use. And so maybe that's, I'm starting to be all heady about this music. It's a <laughs> rock and roll movie. Off the wall, inside the prison. It's got a lot, a lot to tell. Some rap about life in bondage. Some rap romance in the mind. Dan, what, what, do you remember that? What was your impression when you read the script and uh, when the concept was first brought up, Christian hair metal movie, road picture, whatever, and then when you read it, how, you know, how did it strike you? Yeah, well, Chris and I first met for, for a podcast interview, and it had nothing to do with the movie at all. It's just at the end of that conversation, he said, someday, I have, you know, I have the scripts I wrote, someday if I get to make it, you know, I'd like you to work with me on it. Uh, and then fast forward probably a year later, year and a half later, uh, we, we talk, he says, look, I think, I think we're going to do this. Sent me the script, read the script, I liked it. I didn't know, you know, a lot of the subtleties of the intention of the music or any of that. We hadn't talked about the music. Right. I think you sent me some demos. Uh, right away, my thought was, let's make these songs great. Let's really try to do this right. Let's not do it halfway, you know, and let's definitely not have a giant wink with these songs, because that's, that's so boring. So I wrote the lyrics before there were even songs, because I was like, I want to do these songs, here's some words, but we could change it. He goes, no, no, let's try to make the words work. I tried to make the words of the song be this thing that would make me as an adult. I wanted there to be a wince factor, the old person listening to the song. And I'm going to wrap my head around being 15, being in the church, and trying to say something true and profound. And then stepping back from that and like, ah, yeah, there's a song called Barabbas. The song is written to be a kid trying to use the story of Barabbas, uh, the crucifixion story and give us Barabbas and they release Barabbas. And, um, and, and, and the song is saying, you could be Barabbas. Like the, the chant in the song is saying to the audience, be Barabbas, you know. But Barabbas was an evil, horrible guy right. that should not have been <laughs> right. released into the world, right. right? And the release of Barabbas is, is a travesty. And, and I was like, well, that would be kind of funny because if you were a mature adult who understood theology and history, you would be like, well, I don't know if we all want to be Barabbas. <laughs> and having fun with teenage, how sincere teenagers are. Those lyrics are sincere. That's from the heart. These, yeah. these kids, they're not joking. They're really trying to spread the gospel the best they can right. with a teenager's brain, especially these deep theological concepts and stories. And but here's the thing, here's the beautiful thing that happens the first time we actually start listening to the song. When the monologue starts and the kid says, um, it is very almost pretentious and swaggery kind of like, um, what's, it, it says, um, for, for those of you um, um, imprisoned by the state or locked up by the shame of your own fate, it's very sweat, and he says, let me tell you. The first time I heard that, I just started crying because I was like, Dad Gummit, if gospel didn't come out of this song. All of a sudden, this little gospel moment popped up, and I said, you know what? That is true. That is actual beautiful, life-changing truth to hear. On behalf of those imprisoned by the state, or locked up by the shame of their own fate, let me tell you. You can be Barabbas, you can be Barabbas, you can be Barabbas too. You can be Barabbas, you can be Barabbas, you can be Barabbas too. You can be Barabbas, you can be Barabbas, you can be Barabbas too. You can be Barabbas, you can be Barabbas, you can be Barabbas too. Kind of segues nicely into this next issue is we've got this perennial question about is it Christian or is it not? We've got an entire Christian film industry designed to sell Christian products that promote and reinforce Christian codes to Christian audiences that, you know, that kind of stuff. I and mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know, when we're watching a film that was designed to be a Christian film, most of us, even those of us who call ourselves Christians are just going, uh, yeah, that didn't, that didn't land with me. Um, where we might find a, a film that had no intention of being a Christian film actually 
stirring us as Christians far more effectively. I am praying for the film. <laughs> and I've invited, I've invited Electro Jesus to church with me. <laughs> and the Did other you lay day, hands on it <laughs> appropriately? Because I don't know if we can do that anymore. So I'm hoping it will make a good decision in that regard. Um, first of all, it's a movie and it's telling a story that I think will be a great way to pass two hours of your life, entertaining, have fun. I, I think you'll hear the music and want to listen to the songs again. And you'll, you know, um, Brian Bumgarner, who's on The Office, is, does an incredible job in it. Judd Nelson. Just imagine Judd Nelson from Breakfast Club in New Jack City, the pastor of your church in the 1980s. That's I mean, enough right there. So, I'm in, I'm in. so there's, it's fun. Most hard rock music does not glorify God. On the radio, songs are played with lyrics like, gonna have me a white meat feast, living large as befits the beast, disfurtive scritch scratch, dropping that crotch crutch, looking for a slick lick. I ain't asking for much. I am a Christian. Daniel is a Christian. There are people, creators, um, who are Christians, but, you know, we didn't... And there's a lot of people who worked on the movie who aren't. Yes, right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a faith-based film. That genre, to me, is not really helpful, except for Christians. Those are movies that Christians make for other Christians, um, or Christian propaganda, um, people make propaganda for all sides of issues and religion and political spectrum. I'm, I'm just not interested in that. I'd rather take you to a place and introduce you to some people and some worlds and have a conversation and send you out having a good time and just go live your life now. <laughs> you know? right, right. hope you enjoyed so that. The audience is everybody. <laughs> right. This is not an us and them film. We talked about this when we had you on the show recently. Um, I've always appreciated, and I, I don't find this ironic, I actually find this authentic, that you have no problem speaking about your faith, talking about spiritual issues, theological issues in your art as a musician. You don't have to hide it, you don't have to be coy about it, right. you can just say whatever you want to say, and yet your audience is primarily, I would say, made up of people way outside of what we would call the quote-unquote Christian market. Yeah, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> I, that's just a fact. That's just a fact. It goes back to when I was a kid, uh, and it, it's when, it, when I, you know, went to some Christian concerts, and I bought a, a Christian T-shirt. I think it was this band Glad. And I got one of these, one of these, <laughs> long, long, <laughs> one of those T-shirts. Baseball jerseys. What, what yeah, 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 yeah. That was <laughs> right. the thing, right? right? And everybody had Def Leppard ones. Everybody had. Cause I went to public school. Everybody had all these cool ones, and I had a Glad one. And I went to school. I was oh, so excited. I so finally sorry. had a rock and roll. What do they call three quarter yeah. sleeve? And some kid goes, "Who's Glad?" And I remember being so humiliated. I was like, "I don't like that." There's these two worlds. Like there's the Christian world, and then there's like my my school world. Like it, I don't I don't get this. Yeah. That scarred me for life. <laughs> the question is, who's your audience? I mean, that's why I learned in art school. Who's your audience with this thing? Is your audience a bunch of people who all think like you do? Or is your audience everybody? And if the audience is everybody, then when I write songs, I don't think about Christians. I think about people who maybe ha haven't had a uh, spiritual experience. That's all I think about when I'm writing. I never think about Christians at all. Why would I? <laughs> and it's, I'm not preaching, I'm not trying to change anybody's mind, that's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to share something, I'm trying to share an experience. The only place I can share from is a personal, quiet time experience. You can't really argue with an experience. And I don't want to argue anyway. I just want to share some, some experiences and sh hopefully there's some beautiful things in there and hopefully there's some power in those because I believe there's some truth in there because it's not my truth. It's the creator of all who brings this truth. And so hopefully there's some, some, some power in, the, in some of these words. Did I step on your trumpet or did I lump, lump them in with you? Did he step on your trumpet or did he lump? I put your name on the ballot 
we should have some faith in that power instead of in our own conniving. We can't strong arm God to do anything, and it's 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 arrogant to think so. <laughs> you know, breakthrough in writing the script came uh, for me, and this is super personal. A breakthrough came when. Uh, I'd been working on the script and thinking about people I grew up with who had maybe were no longer uh, maybe had fallen away from their faith and I was thinking in scenes of this conversation or thinking in big ideas of talking to those people like why did you fall away from your faith and the screenplay changed and the film turned into an actual work of art I believe when I realized that I was actually asking myself one are you still a Christian? And if you are, why? So that's when the whole tenor of the, the writing changes. And I think most Christian art starts with the premise of, okay, that guy over there, how am I gonna sell him the gospel? And now, you know, with politics wrapped up into it, how, how do I get this person to agree with my political position? Well, I'm gonna trick them this way. I'm gonna play music that makes you cry. You know, so you hear the chord and you immediately start to well up and they'll know that that's the Holy Spirit and they're gonna change their life, right? It's about figuring out Chris and, and circling kind of, you know, his journey and what he's thinking and the fact that honestly, there are some days where I would say, I don't think I'm a Christian today. I've gone through things in life where I was like, nope, nope. And then I come back around to it and I'm like, no, I, you know, it's like, dadgummit, I am. I am. I'm still a Christian, you know. So that's maybe, maybe it's to right. stop looking at them and look at yourself. If, yeah. if you're a Christian trying to make art, and I don't want to even speak to that because they're brilliant people that talk about that all the time, but. When you stay personal, to me, that, that that's a that's a good place to stay, because then you're not selling you're not selling a conclusion, right? This movie doesn't sell a conclusion, so it's not propaganda. And I don't I don't enjoy any art that that gives me like a definitive answer at the end. I I like to be able to filter it through my thinking and my experiences, mm -hmm. and then it becomes mine. And that's the thing that I, I think that's really what we're talking about. Then then the audience gets to make it personal. That's been my experience with, with my songs, is people get things from it that I certainly didn't intend, but if you keep it open, if you keep it available, you keep it, just try to make great art, <laughs> uh, then it's, it can go all kinds of places. Render love, let there be peace in the land, reconcile woman and man. So Chris, uh, basically when it comes to the, our community, what what all can we do to support this film? What what a, what does the True Tunes world need to do to help this thing along? Well, it's great knowing True Tunes and as a, a fan and follower of True Tunes, I, I feel pretty confident that this community uh, will like the movie and that makes me excited um, that it feels like there's an audience right there and, and you guys are going to be excited about it and, and enjoy it. Um, but right now, I mean, go to uh, the Electric Jesus Facebook page. There is great information. You can see behind the scenes footage of when um, we were shooting the movie. Uh, that will um, be active um, even now. And it's uh, facebook.com slash ejesusfilm. And that's also on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us as ejesusfilm. And then there's a website, electricjesusfilm.com. And if you go to that site, you can, um, uh, if you sign up for the mailing list, uh, you'll be the first people to know everything that happens with Electric Jesus and have opportunities for some really interesting merchandise that's coming uh, up uh, eventually, including fictitious band buttons and t-shirts <laughs> there is there's a world of fictitious uh, music in the movie and so all those bands are getting uh, a, a great treatment um, in that way um, but also I mean uh, Daniel and I are uh, gonna put a, a, an incredible soundtrack product uh, out with this um, so even if the movie doesn't do it for you I promise we're gonna uh, put some music together that is on uh, a great experience, great listening experience, even if you don't watch the movie. <laughs> I don't want to say any names or anything, but um, 
there's some cool new music um, uh, that's coming your way. I want to thank Chris and Dan for taking time with us again for this recent conversation, but now I want to take us back to last summer. First, I got to sit down with Brian Baumgartner just a few minutes after he wrapped his final take. As I mentioned, Brian plays Skip Wick, the would-be shepherd of this rock and roll flock. It was a joy to watch him work and a lot of fun to hang out with him around town in Columbus and see the locals react to Kevin Malone being in their midst. I see no reason that you boys can't be opening for Mylon or Steve Camp or who knows, maybe even Striper by the time school starts back in the fall. 316 on tour, all four members and a sound man. The Rock and Roll Road Show. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. So, this Electric Jesus film that you've just wrapped a few minutes ago. Yes. When this thing first came on your radar, first, how, how did it strike you and how did it first come across your transom and, and what made you decide that this was something you wanted to be involved with? The character of Skip was just a very interesting character, um, a flawed individual who does not have the best of intentions, but has a humanity so almost despite himself and it was very you know interesting for me the idea of his journey and how he takes these these kids you know really on a journey of their own one summer and kind of rediscovers himself three or four times along the journey as well i thought it was super interesting i obviously i had no idea and knew that you know the kids in the band how that was cast was going to be you know ultimately the most important thing i assumed that they were going to be good musicians because it it really takes that uh and they are but i was just so thrilled and surprised in some ways but thrilled to see how real and true these guys performances are and as you know in my journey which is relatively short on this film that some of them have been working on it um you know why it's been working on it what four or five years and um you know from when he was really young and he's still young you know that it it means so much to them and they have such a passion for it it's really an infectious the sort of spiritual overtones of this thing was this a subculture that you had any kind of awareness of prior to thinking of this film or, or coming across this film i was a little young i feel like when this was happening but i was definitely aware of it i was way more aware of amy grant i yeah. think yeah. um i did go to a christian school in atlanta but i was certainly i was aware of the heavy metal hardcore christian stuff but it was not a culture that i was a part of and, and kind of like skip there's the surface level that you can kind of look at and go oh that's that's kind of funny uh christians with long hair and heavy metal okay then there's when you dig under it and you start to look at the motivations and some are pure some not so much that's where it gets kind of interesting you're looking at religion and you're looking at artists there there can be some symmetry there but i think you know on a certain level yeah those things i i think don't necessarily go together and i think if you have you know individuals who want to question who want to ask the big questions you may find yourself in line with christianity or whatever religion but it, i think it also artistic expression to me breeds questioning about everything that's that's something that interests me and i think the journey in this film as they all are asking questions for me it's the difference between good art and and propaganda and i think if there are no questions um this would not have been a project that i would be interested in doing as a writer director uh, anything you want to say about chris's direction and and kind of his role in this yeah, I mean, Chris is always better 
when um, he doesn't open his mouth, he just listens to what I have to say. I feel like that's that's where he's most effective, actually. Um, no, he's been, you know, he's been a pleasure. And, I, you know, I, it goes back to a point I made earlier about, you know, the passion and the time that so many of these kids have been cast. They're not kids, but the kids in the band. They play kids in the movie. How long that they have been working on it. And, you know, the same goes for him. I mean, it's a passionate project for him, and that really comes through. And it's, it's been my, my pleasure to work with him. He said that he had your number. He cut the telephone line. On one very rainy day, we found ourselves sitting around for hours hoping for enough of a clearing in the weather to grab a quick scene in the parking lot of a church. I took advantage of some rare downtime with the actors, grabbed my recorder, and spent some time in the dressing room talking about their backgrounds, how they came to the film, and what they thought of the story and this world. My name is Andrew Eckel. I play Eric in the film Electric Jesus. Eric is the sound man for the band 316 and he's kind of a, a shy, quiet kid, but he knows a lot about Christian rock, and he's falling in love for the first time. So how did you hear about the film and get involved with this thing? Oh man, it was, it was two years ago. I'd say it was January 2017, and I auditioned for four months, met with Chris uh, for about four months, on and off, and then finally got the word that I was gonna play Eric. I was actually on stage, I did a little play in Charleston and I was backstage getting ready for it and I got a text from Chris White and he said hey is it cool if we have a conversation and I said yeah man I'm about to go on stage I hear in like two minutes but after that you know I, I can give you a phone call he said actually I'm front row and I was like oh boy well that's either good news or bad news so how many people would bother going to your show and buying a <laughs> yeah. ticket and sitting in the front row to say sorry kid <laughs> you're not in my movie yeah that would be a special kind of evil <laughs> yeah no i know but i didn't know him then so who who knew i didn't know what to expect I, I i assumed it was good news um but try you know try to try to get into your character in a play when you when you know the director's in the front row uh that's that was tough i was shaking the entire time i was like oh my gosh uh, no, so that's how he broke the news. That was May 2017. So what was it about this role and this story that made you want to jump in? Yeah, so it's funny. Growing up, uh, I was raised in the church, and when I was a teenager, about 15, 16, I taught myself the guitar. Uh, more or less, it was just so that I could pick up girls. Um, but in youth group, I, um, I was like, okay, I, I got a few friends together, and we started a Christian band. It was called Plat Hearts. This was circa 2007. Um, we were working on originals, but we never got that far. Uh, and then, you know, you grow up, you go to college, and um, life happens. But then I, I saw this casting call, and I was like, a Christian heavy metal 80s band? That sounds interesting. And at first, I thought it was going to sort of be like a, like a spoof until I talked to Chris. And he was like, no, I mean, we're taking this very seriously. These guys, is, you know, their, their faith... Uh, you know, their, their spiritual accountability, like they take this very seriously. I've never seen a movie like this before. There was, there was something, I, I, I think I was just sort of drawn to how unique the project was and how specific it is. It's 1986, you know, it's... It's, it's June of 1986. June of 1986, <laughs> In the American yes. South. Like, yeah. like, we've nailed this thing down. I know, so. it's just, I love it. Walking onto sets, it, it feels like walking into the past. You know, you open the door. You and I walked through my character's room just a few days ago to look at it, and it was like stepping into the past. I mean, even though these are Christian bands, it's still, it's like, you know, what time machine did I walk through? Um, they had like old computers from the 1980s and an old TV and it was just incredible. I mean, it's, I'm having a blast. It's awesome. Um, what would you say has been uh, one of the main challenges or, or hurdles to overcome in, port in portraying this role? Uh, well, Eric is, he's a professional, even at the age of 16. He knows what he's doing with the soundboard. He knows who's who in the Christian music scene. Uh, we just taped that, you know, a, a pretty significant part uh, the other day where I have to list off all of these bands. So, uh, what kind of music do you listen to? <sighs> Quite a bit, actually. Uh, love metal, hard rock. Uh, love your guys' stuff. Um, let's see, I've been listening to Resban 
Barren Cross, Bloodgood, Leviticus, Jerusalem, Messiah Prophet, Philadelphia, Barnabas, uh, Daniel Band, Shout, and Saint, which I think is the heaviest of them all, of course. Um, but I could hear you guys playing with any of them. I've been listening to this new metal band called First Strike. Their album was produced by Mike Rowe of the 77s. I love the 77s, that whole post-punk, new wave scene, bands like Youth Choir, The Lifesavers, and LSU, which is the new version of The Lifesavers, and it's insane. Uh, Undercover, Vector, Charlie Peacock, Bill Mason Band, uh, Mad at the World, Andy McCarroll and Moral Support, The Technos and 3D, Quick Flight, 441, um, Steve Taylor and Daniel Amos, of course, and even punk stuff like The Lead, and this new underground band from Texas that I heard about at Cornerstone called One Bad Pig. And, and then there's the mainstay rock acts. You gotta love them. You know, Larry Norman, uh, Randy Stonehill, Daryl Mansfield, Servant, Petra, DeGarmo and Key, uh, Rick Kua, Prodigal, Kerry uh, Livgren and AD, Idol Cure, Sweet Comfort Band, um, Phil Keggy, Rob Castle's band, Whiteheart, Kenny Marks, Mark Hurd, Pat Terry, and then all that great stuff from the old days. My uncle turned me on to some crazy cool Jesus music that I still really dig, like Keith Green, All Safe Freak Band, Tom Howard, Concrete Rubber Band, uh, Randy Matthews, Bryn Hayworth, he actually opened for Clapton, Ishmael United, so many others. But you know what I really love is when I find a regular band, uh, you know, like on MTV and the radio, that just has like a Christian perspective on things. I've been really into Bob Dylan, The Alarm, uh, Simple Minds, The Call, uh, After the Fire, Bruce Coburn, Violent Femmes, this wicked metal band from Chicago called Trouble. Um, Alpha Band, they actually backed up Dylan. And uh, Kaja, that's what was left after the lead singer left Kaja Goo Goo. It's way cooler. And you two, of course. Oh, and I've been getting into this jazz fusion band called Koinonia. That's just what I carry around with me. I've got a lot more at home. And then, of course, after that, I have to get on, um, I have to get behind a soundboard and I have to work it and I have to make it look like I know what I'm doing. Uh, and I think that, of course, that's kind of a technical challenge. Eric has to be a captivating character. Audiences need to be able to relate to him and they need to be able to root for him. But he's got a lot of faults. Yes, I mean, you know, a, a lot of people of faith, that is a, a significant part of their life. But I think Eric takes it to a place where he doesn't allow for enjoyment of, un of anything else. And eventually, I think, you know, he starts to, some of those, uh, those, tight, uh, those tight knots start to loosen a little bit as the story progresses. Uh, but writing that line um, of being, you know, very pious, a very pious young person, but also being a really hip, interesting, engaging character, which for me, I suppose, that that's sort of, that's the bicycle I'm trying to ride, so. Any music you've discovered in doing this that's become stuff you actually like to listen to? Yes, uh, the 77s, ah. the 77s. So the very first screen test we did back in 2017, Chris was like, okay, so your character's gonna dance to Ba 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 Ba. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a wild name for a song. Let me listen to it. And I'm telling you, that song, that song, I, I, I loved it. And so I opened up their catalog on Spotify, went through, uh, through, through all of their albums and listened to all of their music. I love that. Um, I don't listen to much Christian music anymore, but I'm, I'm on the 77's bandwagon. <laughs> it's a good, yeah. there's plenty of room. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. It's great. My character is Michael. I am Wyatt Lenhart. Usually I say that in reverse, right? My name's Wyatt Lenhart. I play Michael on Electric Jesus. So that You've been on set came out. too yeah, long. I've been on set too long. You're forgetting your truth. <laughs> so now that it's come all this way, I mean, we've both been involved with this since the other names and yeah. all that kind of stuff. As it's coming together and it's actually uh, fleshing out and it's, it's real now, how does it compare to when you were reading the script and imagining it, uh, how's it, how's it feeling as it's coming to life? It looks so good um, and just like almost out of a, like a dream, you know, like something that, that couldn't exist. Uh, and I think that's kind of what they're going for, right? It's supposed to kind of just be this like ethereal kind of memory that they're, that they're trying to capture, you know, so everything is, is not perfect, but just 
warm. It's got this really cool tone to the whole to the whole project, which is kind of like reading the script. That's that's really what I thought it would be, you know, especially with the music, you know, because the music kind of like that's the feeling you get from the band, you know, is that they're they're really into their music and and my character Michael you know he's a believer and so it's super interesting the direction they went because Daniel's great Daniel wrote the music of course but Daniel uh, Smith. yeah Daniel Smith and and the, the songs were meant to sound awesome you know but like very obviously written by teenagers right. you know and and I think they did that so well and so because and I, I did shows growing up you know and, and you write songs and you perform them and and you think they're so awesome, you know, and you are just, you're 110%. You're like, this is the best music that's ever been written. You know, and you look at it later and you're kind of like, what? Like, what was that music? But it, this kind of takes place in the sense that it was that good. It, it does the best of both worlds, right? Like, it's, it's something from the mind of a teenager that also happens to be, like, something that everybody can get behind because it just sounds awesome. Even aspects of the story that had nothing to do with the music also I think uh, handle that in a in a very realistic way I, I love the enthusiasm that it starts off with and the you know the, the simple faith and the, the simple passion because if you don't think you're gonna make it on any level whether that's spiritually or rock and roll then why would you ever yeah. start you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't invest in it right. you know like um, and I think that's something that you get pretty clear from the beginning is, is uh, at least Michael, I think, believes that, like, they're in it for the long haul. You know, like, they have what it takes to go the distance. And I don't know, you know, the rest of the members of the band, I think they all can make, I think they all think they can make it. I don't know if they all think they can make it in the same direction, right? Like, because, uh, you know, Jamie is, like, I think he's very dedicated. I just don't know if his hearts in the same place as the rest of the members of the band um, but they're all committed which is why I think that you you kind of fall in love with the band really quick is just like a oh yeah you know anybody who ever took guitar lessons or you know their parents made them take piano lessons or anything like that they had the dream of like I'm gonna make it big I think we'll be able to relate with you know any of the characters in the band musically you've had to do a lot of work so you're playing stuff on this you're singing all this stuff for real has it been a challenge to jump in the wayback machine and sing and play like it's 1986 oh and yeah uh so the story of this is originally when i auditioned he was like hey i think this is awesome um, i'm gonna get you in touch with uh daniel the the music producer and, and he just wants to make sure that you know you can sing some of these songs and I was like, okay, yeah. And so they sent me some of their demos that they had originally. And, and, and I'd done some music production, so I had just like a, like a small studio in my basement. Some basic mics and some padding and, and, a, and a mixer. And, and so I just did some demos and I sent them back. And then he's like, okay, what about this? And so he sends me uh, Round and Round. And uh, so I sang that. And that's a high song. I mean, he like they get up there, you know, and especially like with the raspy tone. You can sing stuff high, right? But singing stuff high and then like kind of, you kind of push your voice into overdrive a little bit to get that like really pressured tone in rock. And I would say that these songs in the movie are definitely out of my range, but we pushed really hard, you know, to get them. I think at the end of the day, we were really happy but man, was I had no idea going into the studio if I could even do what they wanted me to do. <laughs> we'll be right back after a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We're back with this cold storage episode from the True Tunes podcast. Well, the devil can kiss my black ass. Skip, we're going to Nashville. I just like to uh, echo good brother Jamie's are. word here. Thank you, brother. I want to echo Cliff's echo. Oh, thank you, brother Scott. Great. Well, grab your stuff. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Will Oliver, and I play uh, Jamie in the movie Electric Jesus. I found out about this movie. Um, somebody sent me a, a link to apply for it. I remember I was watching Netflix and I got the link. Uh, so then I, I applied for it, not thinking anything of it. And then within uh, within the next day, I got a call 
uh, about sending in some auditions. And then a week after that, Chris called me. And then uh, a week after that, Chris came down, sat me in the office. We talked it up a little bit. Went back to the office, talked some more, had to send in the audition tape, and within, uh, I say, about three or four weeks, I was here and part of a part of the game. So, what is something about the character Jamie that people won't necessarily know just from watching the movie, but that you wish they knew? Uh, what's going on in his mind? What's going on in his head? There's a lot. There's a lot that goes on in his head. I think, um, I think personally, whenever Jamie steps on the stage with that guitar. That's like a safe haven. Like uh, on the outside world, uh, we all go through things. And Jamie currently has this issue. He deals with his father that a lot of people don't see and that you won't be able to grasp within uh, the, the short few uh, minutes or seconds you may see with the two interaction. But uh, when Jamie steps on the stage, he's just free and there, there's not a care in the world. And when he has a guitar in his hand, it's like all the all the problems of the outside world fade away. And he can just truly live in the moment and to, to just truly uh, be passionate about his music. That's what he lives to do and that's what he strives for. So as this thing is kind of coming to life when you go from reading the script to actually you guys being on set and acting this out, um, how is the story uh, hitting you? How does it feel to actually be interacting with the band and doing this stuff? It's it's cool, it's cool. I think um, coming into this, the, the first the first thing we all did was we all rehearsed together and so, uh, like any any normal band rehearsal, uh, you know, at first you may start off a little rocky, and then you get more comfortable with the music, and 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 it comes to life. And I feel like that's how how it was with these guys. Like, uh, I didn't know much about the, the songs, but I learned a few chords. And within within like the first week and a half of, of playing this, we had uh, a fabulous guy named Daniel come in and teach us the songs. And within like the the first couple of weeks, we were just rocking out, and just felt it felt natural, and it was just it was truly a joy to just to just put it all out there. And then we filmed the scene the other day, and that was even more fun because you you have the lights going, you have the smoke coming, you have feeding off the energy of everybody else. It's it's so cool. It's like a I don't know. It's a it's an it's a moment you can't you can't uh, you can't forget. This one's for us. Hey, my name is Caleb Hoffman, and I play Scotty in Electric Jesus. Scotty is the drummer. I, I feel like with Scotty, I feel like everybody who grew up with a group of friends always has a Scotty character in their group of friends. He's always kind of looking for the joke. He's always kind of, you know, if he's sitting in church and the pastor's uh, kind of going on some sort of uh uh, I don't want to say rant, but let's say rant, then he's the first one that's going to kind of crack up, smile, look at his buddies to try to, you know, uh, disrupt things. How did you uh, come to be involved with this film? I saw it was a uh, it was a casting call that I had found. And if I'm being tr if I'm being honest, the first thing I thought was a job. Hey, that sounds great to me. <laughs> but I saw that it was about um, this band in the 80s. And what hit so close to home is that I was in a church band for 10 years. We played uh, discipleship now, weekends, retreats, camps, and from the age 14 to 21, we were in this band. So when I saw um, Chris had posted a picture of kind of this image of the band, I saw these four heads uh, of these guys from the 80s with mullets and you know the do's and all this stuff and I thought this is something this is something and I remember how I was running a town or something but I saw the cast and call and I thought I'm going to send this guy everything I've got when I get back and uh, so yeah and then it was probably in January I got the call to come to an audition so we show up to this college and um, and it was quite actually uh, kind of scary you walk in there you have there's I want to say hundreds of hundreds of kids if not tens of tens of tens of you know kids. that would be hundreds <laughs> that would be hundreds yeah 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 and um, drummers count to four over and over again so you're gonna have to help them <laughs> very true uh, yeah we so I show up and there's everyone's dressed in these this 80s attire um, you know there's guitars around and and um, people are all there to you know audition in this auditorium and it's not like an audition that I've ever been through 
He had people come up randomly to sing songs. Um, there was constantly a video crew going around just trying to capture moments so he could always have the eyes in places that Chris wouldn't, you know, round at the college. But, uh, yeah, and then it dwindled, you know, uh, the day dwindled down. Uh, fewer kids, fewer kids. And, and by the end of the day, I was, me and Chris talked, and he said he didn't know what he was going to have me as, but he'd like, he invited me into the movie somehow, where or the other. And, so story-wise, once you got past the idea of, hey, this is a job, and you started to actually get to look at the script and the character that you're going to play, how did that strike you? What, what, uh, what pulled you in about the story? So I have never read a story like this. When I heard it was going to be about an 80s film, uh, and, it, and it was a Christian movie, I thought, okay. It, and I had done some projects that were faith-based, but this one wasn't technically, there's not really a come-to-Jesus moment. Right. But it's an, it's bar none an incredible story about uh, youth um, in this time era, and and I think it's going to resonate to a lot of people who have experienced this sort of nostalgic good old days with their buddies in the garage and music and and all this classic rock music and then and then shining light onto the Christian music that tried to break out in the eighties too. It's such a rare story, and I don't think it's really been told. But uh, but Scotty's fun to play. He's he's a kid, and in the story, he doesn't have a father, so he he kind of has this thing against authority. Uh, he tries to do good. Um, you know, he's in a church worship band, um, but for the most part, anything goes as far as this sounds fun. Oh, oh, we're going on tour. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. There's no question with Scotty. He's just. He's all game, um, and so he's he's a fun character to play. So this is John Thompson, and we are actually on set at a really cool house in Columbus, Georgia, and this house has been used for I don't even know how many different scenes in the Electric Jesus movie. We're sitting poolside between takes, and I am with Sarah. Why don't you tell us your real true identity? My true identity behind the facade is Shannon Hutchinson, and I I do play Sarah in the film. She's like the female lead. She's the stowaway, uh, wants to be a singer very badly. She needs to be a singer. So I get to play guitar and sing in this film, which is so awesome. I didn't know how to play guitar before joining this film, and now I, I like, I bought a guitar. I play it all the time. I love it. That's awesome. So, real quick, what, what's your background? What, what has your acting background been uh, leading up to this? Um, I, of course, started in community theater when I was little, and just had so much fun doing that. And I, I ended up going to performing arts high school for acting, which was the most fun I've ever had. And I've gotten into a little bit of professional work since then, mostly for fun, not really like trying to build too much of a career, but it's, it's just the best to be able to do that and not have too much pressure on it. So I, I did a film uh, called Assassinaut. I'm, it's like a sci-fi horror thriller. <laughs> I'm the lead in that, so I get to kill some aliens, which is fun. <laughs> always fun. There's, there's always more aliens. You keep killing them and they keep coming. I know, there's, it's like there's infinite universes or something you can kill any aliens. How did this movie come across your radar and what did you think of it when you first heard about it? Uh, I was, I live in Pennsylvania and this had an open call in South Carolina. I just, I just happened to stumble upon it, sent in my stuff and they asked me to come down for a callback and it was going to be sort of like a big open audition. So I thought, oh, there's, I, why would I drive eight hours down to this basically open call of an audition? I'm just in another another number, and there was going to be a snowstorm, and I'd have to take off like a day from school. But I don't do that very often. I don't go to auditions very often, but I really, really, really liked this film and like the role of Sarah. So I was like, you know what? I, I have to try. I have to try. And I think uh, Chris and actually one of the casting directors I knew kind of saw me in the crowd and was like, you, we're going to do a scene with you. And I actually sat right next to Andrew, and he was also chosen to do the scene. He played Eric, I played Sarah. <laughs> oh, wow. And we went through the scene while everyone else was kind of like waiting in the in the lobby. And it just, uh, it was this long and strenuous audition process uh, from there, but 
now I'm here and I'm so glad I did it. What would you say has been uh, one of the biggest challenges of being involved with this? The biggest challenge is uh, a little bit the music for me. I, I sing a lot in the film and I didn't do too much singing before this. I did like musical theater and stuff, but um, I never knew that was, I never was too confident in singing. And then I did, got this and everyone's like, oh yeah, you're the singer. And like, I don't know about that, <laughs> being the singer and, and playing guitar, but I'm pretty confident in that now. But the music was definitely a, a challenge, especially because it was country, sort of a country uh, cowpunk type songs that I, I've never really tested my voice with before. But I kind of like it. I think it's cool. Hi, my name is Gunnar Willis, and I play Cliff in Electric Jesus. Cliff is the bass player who plays the upside down backwards, yeah. <laughs> which kind of describes his character. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, mm. uh, tell us about Cliff. Give us a little personality sketch of Cliff. I like to describe Cliff as the Ringo of the group. Um, he's definitely the, the least talented, but very earnest. Yes, Cliff is a bundle mm. of joy, not mm -hmm. necessarily <laughs> precision. <laughs> yes, yes. I yeah. uh, love being there. I think uh, Cliff really just wanted to be with his friends and really his brothers. So he's on this tour just to hang out and eat junk food and play in front of people because it's fun. I don't really think he has much ambition beyond wow, this is incredible, I'm doing this with my friends. Right, <laughs> right, right. How did you uh, fall into this movie? Like, how did you hear about it, and how did you get involved? I met Chris um, at a film festival in 2016. Um, I had a little short uh, that premiered there called Different Times Man, um, just something I made with three friends, and he saw it there, and he came up to me afterwards and asked me to audition for this movie. Um, I auditioned a few months later, and I was cast in the, I think January, 2017. So I've been attached for, for a while. <laughs> it's taken us a minute to get it this has, thing. It has, it has. But I what mean, was it about the story that uh, that made you want to be involved? Well, I've always wanted to do something, uh, period piece, and I've never really done that before. So that just that alone, before we really got into the story, was really cool. Um, and then he started saying, "Oh, I want you to be in a rock band." I was like, all right, well, I, I'm six foot seven and like 300 pounds, so I don't get a lot of rock movie offers, you know? <laughs> so I, I was pretty much down. Um, and then he told me a little bit about the character and how he wanted to be this kind of lovable, gullible big brother to this group. And um, that's kind of who I am to my younger brothers because I'm the oldest. Being able to play that type of character in this type of world just really spoke to me. And uh, um, how is the actual experience living up to what you expected when you were reading the script and imagining it? Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's awesome. I'm actually not a bass player. And that was the scariest thing that I <laughs> for me. That to... might be why your fingers were bleeding. Yes, the yeah, other I have blisters right now, yeah. <laughs> so, so I had to kind of learn, I had to learn bass enough so I could hopefully <laughs> pretend well enough for people not to know I didn't play bass. So what's so cool is actually when I was on stage the first time performing one of these awesome songs, I kind of forgot that I was in a movie because we had, you know, real, uh, quote unquote, real audience members there. So the coolest part to me is like, I actually felt like an 18 year old kid that got to be in a rock band for, you know, 45, 50 minutes. <laughs> then we take a break and you know right, do it right, again. Right. Uh, so I think that's the the, um, the thing I've enjoyed the most beyond just getting really close to my bandmates is you know I think every kid secretly or not wants to be in a rock band, and this is like my only chance to like see, get that taste and <laughs> get a little bit of feel of it. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. It all looks great, and hopefully you can tell that we're having a blast making it. Hey, this is Michael. Scotty. Cliff. And Jamie from 316. And you're listening to the True Tunes Podcast. Rock on. Yeah! 
I want to thank Chris and Dan for taking time with us for this conversation and for the rest of the cast as well. It's been quite a journey so far and I know we're still just getting started. Thanks for indulging us in this recurring conversation about a little independent comedy about music and dreams and friends and yes, in its own way, faith. Here's hoping this story finds its way to millions. We the kids can't keep quiet by the big news. Loving truth, words on fire, silver roots. Double talk, they bonded you with their forked tongues. climb up on my soapbox here, I'm thinking about this story of friends and music and wanting to change the world. I can relate to this whole Electric Jesus thing on a lot of levels, but without giving too much away here, I think what I'm most interested in is the idea that while so many of us are trying to cling to power in this life and to tell stories about our greatness and winning, the stories that really bring us together are often the ones that bring us down from our pedestals. We love the little guys because maybe deep down, we all know that we are the little guys. There's fellowship and community down here in the cheap seats. Sure, we love the heroes. We love to be inspired by the Davids when they take out their Goliaths. But what really helps us feel not so alone in this life is when we see just how many little Davids there are out here just like us. When our dreams come up short though, we find new dreams. Hopefully, when our faith comes up short, we search for the truth. We don't chuck the whole thing. One of my favorite lyrics of all time comes from Steve Taylor's 1987 song, Harder to Believe Than Not To. He sings, quote, shivering with doubt that you left unattended, so you tossed away the cloak that you should have mended. Don't you know by now why the chosen are few? It's harder to believe than not to. About five years later, he wrote another of my favorites. Jesus is for losers. I guess what I'm trying to say is that many people who were all gung-ho for the Christian life, the music and the t-shirts and the counterculture, maybe even the politics, they bought it all believing that as long as they believed, they'd somehow escape the trials, failures, disasters, and pains that this life inflicts on us all. The thing is, that was never the deal. Consuming Christian products, propagating a Christian subculture, and avoiding contact with the outside world in exchange for comfort was never the exchange offered by Jesus. A renewed mind, a heart made of flesh instead of stone, the ability to discern right from wrong, a peace that goes beyond understanding and that carries us through the worst this world has to offer and beyond, that's what Jesus offered in exchange for the sorry rags we call righteousness. There's a lot of talk in the Christian world about making Jesus famous, and we hear that in the movie too. What it seems to me we should be more worried about is making Jesus available to the world, because fame is really not all it's cracked up to be, and he asked us to be his body here. As one great 80s Christian song said, we are his hands and feet. Okay, I'm getting off my soapbox now. That's going to do it for this episode of the True Tunes Podcast. If you like this show, please tell your friends. Please leave us a good rating and write us a review wherever you listen, especially at Apple Podcasts. 
Word of mouth in the form of actually calling or texting the friends you believe will enjoy this show is the most important marketing we have available to us. So thank you. Also, please sign up for our email list at truetunes.com and like our page on Facebook. It all helps us build the audience and our only currency in this endeavor is your attention. We promise to use it very carefully. You can find a list of all of the music from this episode and other links in the show notes page at truetunes.com. Thanks again to Bruce Brown for producing this show with me. Bruce, you are a champ. And as always, a big shout out to Phil Keggy and Rex Paul for our instrumental version of Full Circle that we use as the theme song. The contents of the podcast are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions. With the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials, everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at truetunesmusic at gmail.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. Until next time, be well, my friends. Be excellent to each other. May the world suspect that something is different about us because of the love we have for each other. And may we listen to better music and listen to music better as long as we all shall live. This is JJT saying stay tuned and stay true. So Bruce, this is all going to be edited out. We'll he'll figure that out. Um, yeah.